On today's episode, I chat with Stuart Balcom about building in the HubSpot ecosystem and Arrow's unique content strategy. Stuart is the head of growth for Arrow's and grew their integration for HubSpot to 700 plus installs and number one in the CS category in less than 18 months. So let's dive right in. Let's let's start with some foundational um, stuff here first and get a little bit of context about what you're actually focused on. So at Arrow's particularly, what are you kind of focused on growth-wise at the moment? Yeah, totally. It's a really good question. We're sort of at an interesting point in the the journey at Arrow's. We've been, you know, we're a small, relatively small, so C stage uh, company, team of eight, uh, growing pretty quickly at the moment. So there's a lot of, you know, what is the what is the next inflection point that we need to get to? What are the things that uh, we have been doing that are going to stop working, or the things that we have been doing that we need to get rid of because we are not going to be able to focus on them, you know, at the sort of next. Uh, levels. So there's been a lot of uh, a lot of thinking around that. the The biggest thing for for me at the moment is figuring out how can marketing uh, sort of better enable a more scaled motion in both sales and in CS. Um, so trying to identify the things that are common patterns later in the journey, and this has sort of always been a core thing that I've uh, or core approach that I've taken to marketing at Arrows, but it's especially important now is what are the things that we need to be addressing earlier in the journey in product marketing in content um, that help uh, help folks grow with arrows without necessarily being having the hands-on support that they have had uh, sort of across the board uh, to date. So I, I want to dive into two of those factions. So you've talked about some things that maybe maybe there are things you have done in the past that will need to go away and new things to replace those or that need to be additive. What what did growth, what, what did your initiatives kind of look like earlier on and how has that changed to where you're going? Yeah, I, I think, so we, Arrows has sort of an interesting backstory in the sense that in the sort of 30 second summary, you know, uh, 18 months ago, Arrows was a standalone product um, or collaborative customer onboarding tool, entirely standalone. Uh, you know, you came to Arrows, you did your work, customers interacted, plans, that was great. We had integrations with Salesforce and HubSpot, but 18 months ago, we made the decision to go sort of all in on the HubSpot ecosystem. And now today you have to, uh, you know, authenticate with HubSpot to use Arrows. And what that meant is that early on, we spent a lot of time focusing on the HubSpot ecosystem and identifying areas of demand that uh, weren't being served in that community that sort of were more tangential to the Arrows product than, uh, you know, was necessarily going to be somebody who was going to buy arrows today, but we wanted the sort of ecosystem mindshare um, around the problem that arrows solves, which is generally pretty onboarding sort of implementation specific. So there was a lot of time spent on, you know, enabling uh, the youth case around customer success more broadly around, um, you know, helping people understand how you could customize HubSpot, uh, almost not talking about uh, arrows a whole lot at all. Whereas today, much more of the focus is on, okay, how do we build the bridge between what you're already doing in HubSpot um, to identify folks who you know sh- probably should be using Arrows and don't know that it's an option for them yet. Um, but also, you know, what does that actually look like once you're using the Arrows product or you're trying to um, use Arrows to solve the more specific problem um, which your onboarding team is facing when they're trying to scale and, and do the things which Arrows is really built for today. So I would say that's sort of the, uh, the broad ecosystem type awareness to the much more focused sort of problem specific um, content and uh, narrative uh, that we're sort of shifting to today. Let's talk there too, uh, channels wise or, you know, effort wise, 
you mentioned content. What, were there any other key growth pillars for, for arrows that are kind of still in place? Well, what's important to you in terms of channels now? Yeah, so, so pretty much everything for us at Arrows has been content. Um, and I think that we've had a pretty uh, inverse approach to content than a lot of teams. I know this is sort of a, seems like it's a bubbling topic at the moment. Um, I think especially like pushed by a lot of the AI content generation type stuff. But um, very early on when I joined Arrows sort of almost two years ago, um, we explicitly decided not to focus on SEO. And what that did was it meant that we and it's funny, I was uh, probably posted something too. I was joking with my boss the other day um, that I have not opened Ahrefs. I have not opened Search Console in well over a year. Um, and the reason being that our entire approach to content has been identify the existing problems that people are trying to solve and then just solve those directly. And the way that we're identifying those is not with keyword research, it's by going out and having conversations, by searching in communities, by finding the things that people are looking for answers to and currently can't find a way to solve. So that's where we started with the content strategy was uh, the HubSpot community uh, talking to our existing customers about how they were trying to do things in HubSpot or you know, had they thought about doing these things. And then in terms of channels, the HubSpot community was sort of the, the first place because you, know, you have questions there already, so it's, it's sort of easy to just go answer. And then we essentially took questions that were validated in the community. We already knew there was demand for in the community I went to LinkedIn and said, sort of essentially asked the leading question, like, hey, does anybody want this thing, which we know people already want over here? Do you want that on LinkedIn? So LinkedIn became the big channel for us um, with content because we were able to take things that we were learning and sort of already created content around, reformat it, repackage it, re sort of invent it for LinkedIn. And then the sort of quiet one, which we never paid a ton of attention to uh, in terms of, sort of optimization, but uh, has been really successful for us, is that we were taking everything that we were, po were posting to LinkedIn, which was sort of a great testing ground for, you know, get quick feedback. It's a two-way loop, like you can, or two-way conversation, you can validate, ask a feature request, and really treat content as a product. We were creating a lot of video for LinkedIn that we just went and reposted like, posted to YouTube, essentially, like, without really much of anything. Like we still don't have uh, thumbnails on our, any of our videos on YouTube, but that's actually been a place where people now will come and on demos, they will tell us like, I've watched this entire series on YouTube. I'm ready to go, right? So the, I would say those two from a content perspective have been the, the big two. Um, and we repackaged a lot of that content. We, we sort of created this flywheel essentially where we would create the same We'd have the same topic, which we covered first on LinkedIn. It went to YouTube. We posted it in the newsletter we were writing and still do write a pretty original, you know, not just sort of an aggregation of links type newsletter, but original content in a newsletter. Um, and then we had a guide, which was became the sort of demand capture um, sort of device. Um, but it wasn't net new content. It was really just better packaging, packaging or, uh, you know, creating a a vehicle for delivering the content that you would have to go search, you know, the sort of posts that are all over the place on LinkedIn and delivering a path that actually got people to the outcome that they, they wanted in the you know, bigger sense. So given, given kind of your hot take approach to SEO, I'm wondering if on the measurement side of this, so you're still doing content. I'm wondering yes. how you look at measuring that. Cause I mean, that's, that's one of those big things in marketing is like, you can't measure content. Some people think you can. Where do you lie on that? And how do you think about 
measuring and attributing content to actual business success for arrows? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's certainly not with any attribution tooling. Um, we asked on, uh, well, I guess that's not entirely true. We asked on uh, like demo forms, uh, how people heard about us, um, which, you know, is not perfect. Uh, it's, you know, as good as people's memory or, you know, their impression of how they actually heard about you. It's not necessarily, you know, the exact path they took. Um, but the biggest thing that I look at is how often are we hearing about content in conversations that folks are having? So how often do people get on a demo and say, I found you through LinkedIn. I found you because I watched this video. Like how, how frequently are people referencing the things that you're actually producing? Because I think the thing that that does, and yes, it's not a, you know, quantitatively perfect way of measuring attribution. But what it does is measure the thing that really matters about content, which is that people care, right? It doesn't matter if you got the click to the demo from content and the content didn't actually do anything for them, if it didn't help them in that journey. So that I certainly look at the sort of resonance or the, the impact of that content on people much more so than the, the sort of quantitative value of that, that content. Um, and sort of to the point now where we will get people, and I sort of mentioned in passing about treating content as a product, people actively email us with sort of feature requests for content, right? Like this solves, you know, the thing that I'm trying to do initially, now I have this new use case. So this new thing that I'm trying to do that's tangential to this content, can you go solve that for me in content? Um, which is a nice place to be when it comes to, um, you know, having that feedback loop. Um, and especially when you can turn that into, oh, like actually it's just easier to go use the product and it does this. Wait, I, I, I want to shift gears and talk about HubSpot because we've uh, we've seen over the past couple decades now really starts with the Apple App Store. People start flocking to that, see it as a way to get distribution. Then Shopify's got their ecosystem. Um, I don't think HubSpot is one of those where you really think too much about, we can really build something here, but but you've done that. and kind of positioned yourself within HubSpot's ecosystem as a way to grow. I'm curious what challenges and opportunities on, on both sides of that coin you kind of see for B2B companies based on what you've experienced. Yeah, totally. I think it's a really interesting timing coming off inbound, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, last week, it's been, been wild. Uh, but anyway, um, and it, but it is, to your point, it is not the obvious ecosystem where you're like, oh yeah, we just go ship something there and we immediately get opened up to this market because the the app ecosystem, especially in Shopify, uh, Shopify and Salesforce are much further ahead on that uh, plane where HubSpot is, you know, has had a solutions partner ecosystem that now has like 6,300 uh, solutions partners in it, but the app ecosystem is much less developed. So the way that we looked at it was we, you know, as I mentioned, we made the shift from a sort of uh, CRM agnostic tool to one that's very focused on HubSpot. And the decision was sort of, well, we could go build this for Salesforce. We could go build this for HubSpot. Where do we think the puck is going in terms of adoption? And the thing that was most important to us, given the Arrows tool, was which is the tool that has the, where we can draw the clearest narrative around the importance of onboarding and the overall customer journey. And the thing that we found in the HubSpot ecosystem is that HubSpot really is trying to be that connected platform across the customer journey. Um, that's certainly their messaging. Um, and so we've been sort of able to piggyback that in some ways and find ways to, uh, off, at times, often sort of push that narrative harder internally at HubSpot. Um, 
by introducing ours as a tool that fits in to sort of enable more of that use case. But in terms of sort of strategies or, or things that we've seen uh, work from a go-to-market perspective in the ecosystem, I think a lot has been showing how, how you can sort of better your usage of HubSpot, how you can do more with the thing that you've, how you can get more out of the tool that you've already invested in, that you've already purchased. And the thing that we talk about a lot, and I think this is something that uh, is pretty new and there's certainly more, uh, more apps coming out in the ecosystem that are in this vein. A lot of apps in ecosystems are extractive, right? They're only plugging into the ecosystem to pull data out of the CRM so they can go use it in their product. Whereas the approach that we took with Arrows was sort of the inverse of that, where Arrows is enriching the CRM. And actually, we found that there are some limitations to this, but uh, a lot of the narrative has been you actually never have to leave HubSpot. You can use Arrows as an internal participant or an internal uh, manager without leaving HubSpot. You can access it directly from you know, the old ticket custom object records, um, and your customer gets this external view. Whereas that is not the case for most integrations. So that's both from a product strategy perspective and from a go-to-market strategy perspective. It's very much been, how do we enable more with what people are already doing? How do we become the extension of what you're doing um, without becoming you know, another tool or another, another thing that you have to go figure out? So future of this then, it sounds like this is not a new thing necessarily, but still relatively few people taking advantage of it. What do you think the future of usage within HubSpot's app ecosystem really looks like? How many companies are going to start integrating there? Um, what do you think is going to happen in the next five, 10 years there? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting as the, and there's this interesting balance at the moment between the solution partner ecosystem and the app ecosystem, uh, because a lot of solutions partners have for a long time been building essentially apps inside of people's HubSpot accounts for their private apps there sort of custom solutions that aren't more broadly accessible. I think as the app ecosystem develops and there becomes a clear leader sort of in each category within the app ecosystem, it's going to become just sort of more of a normal thing to go plug in, um, you know, a, an app partner uh, solution to solve for specific problems. So I think there's going to be, there's going to be that opportunity to, uh, especially in categories that don't have a clear leader, that don't have a, or even categories that do have a, an incumbent that hasn't focused so much on the HubSpot ecosystem. As the HubSpot uh, ecosystem grows, as HubSpot goes off market, there's going to be more opportunity to be sort of the HubSpot specific solution or have a HubSpot native solution when people want to have, you know, it's becoming more and more important to have uh, your data accessible and usable across the customer journey. Um, as people lean more into that, uh, as they want more of their teams that are connected, uh, environment around the customer, I think the solutions that can better enable that are going to be the, the ones that win, uh, as opposed to the sort of disconnected point solutions that uh, there's a high implementation uh, cost, there's a high you know, ongoing integration uh, support cost. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be where the opportunity is, is can you be early on being HubSpot native and meet people where they are or with the what they're already trying to do when it comes to their sort of CRM strategy. On, on the branding side of this, obviously not, not as growth focused, but how have you thought about how positioning yourself alongside HubSpot changes how you market and how you grow? Yeah, I, I think that there's, so we have, we've paid a lot of attention for a company of our size and uh, funding have paid probably a lot more attention to branding than, than most. 
Um, we have sort of a sub-brand Happy Customers, um, which we have paid a lot of attention to. We, you know, we have these shirts that uh, are really high quality that don't even mean the like arrows is only mentioned on the tag on the inside. Like they are not your typical sort of startup uh, shirt. And the thing that we have found interesting is a sort of specific things that you know HubSpot has a lot of messaging around Happy Customers and um, the importance of solving for the customer first. Like that is very sort of core to their culture. We made the decision at Inbound last year, and we did it again this year. Um, spend a lot of time on sort of internal branding with HubSpot. So we now have those shirts in HubSpot colors, essentially. They are like not directly HubSpot colors, but you know, they're pretty close. Um, we spend a lot of time, we view HubSpot A's and CSMs as a big channel for Arrow. So we spend a lot of time uh, creating essentially enablement materials for HubSpot teams um, because we want to be the go-to place, right? When you have a problem which is in this sort of realm, if Arrows has the best resource to help you solve better for your customer, we want you to push them, that, even if it's not the Arrows product, right? Um, so from an internal branding perspective, we paid a lot of attention to just being sort of the, the company that always shows up, that's always helpful, um, that will do the work to solve for the customer or to help uh, you solve for the customer. Um, and I think that, that has, that's really starting to pay off in, in a big way. Um, and I think that the outside of the sort of HubSpot company or HubSpot employee type branding efforts, I think trying to be the HubSpot solution or that, you know, align with people who have the goal of bringing more of the function, more of their functions, more of their data, more of their workflows into HubSpot has certainly helped. And we've seen a shift even in the last 18 months, there's just more companies, it seems trying to do that more companies have a HubSpot admin, have a, um, you know, a strategy which is focused around consolidating data in one place. Do you, do you happen to have insight on the split between people that find you from their marketplace or people that just kind of find you and just so happen to also have HubSpot and then there's kind of marriage there? What, what does the split look like? Yeah, uh, it's probably less than 10% find it from the HubSpot marketplace. Um, in terms of people just happen to have HubSpot. We, this is one of the big things that we realized that we needed to do pretty early when we made the, such a sort of, uh, about shift to, to being HubSpot focused was how do we identify or pre-qualify essentially the people who, uh, are booking demos, are like interested in the product to people who are using HubSpot. Um, and we really tried to do that as much as possible through content. It's, it's pretty, like we have a. Uh, you can sign up for free for hours on the, the website and we have a form which asks you, uh, you know, which CRM you're using if it's not HubSpot. It's actually pretty infrequent that, and maybe it's, you know, the same bias there, maybe because people realize that we don't support anything other than HubSpot, but it's very infrequent that people fill out that form with, you know, that we get a response that is not HubSpot there. Um, so, so we've certainly tried to filter as much as possible in content and in marketing to this is a solution for HubSpot. You are trying to uh, solve this problem. You're probably already trying to solve this or thinking about solving this problem, maybe with HubSpot alone and sort of try to educate on, you know, this is the ceiling probably of what you're going to be able to do just with HubSpot. And that's where our sort of fits in to enable, um, you know, more of the use case. It is definitely going to be an interesting and there's no plan or timeline or anything on this at this point, but it is certainly going to be interesting when at some point, uh, you know, we want to be cross-platform or, you know, build another CRM integration.
Last question for you here, then we'll we'll wrap things up. Um, outside of HubSpot, you can't say HubSpot for this. What are the tools, marketing tools specifically, that you use or now or in the past that you absolutely love, you could not live without? Well, uh, we don't use a ton of tools, uh, but I would say that Descript is probably the the big one. Um, it's just so easy to get in and cut things up and, you know, ha having the transcription, I mean, I ran a, uh, a prioritized content business before I joined Arrows and we used to script a ton, uh, there and certainly having the transcript available and being able to go back and, you know, pick through the things that, uh, were interesting is, um, it's pretty, uh, pretty impactful, especially when you don't have, you know, dedicated video editing, dedicated audio engineering, uh, on the team. 